This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week number 805, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you who stick to the script, wash their hands, don't talk too fast, wear a mask, they get vaccinated, they drink water, they get exercise, they care, they love, they live, they laugh, they end this part. Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week number 805. I'm Josh Flanagan. I have done this like eight times. I can't get it right for some reason. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. I mean, it's only been like 15, 16 years. That's fine. It's okay. How are you feeling? That's normal. I'm all right. I'm all right. There was some residual coughing. I felt like like walking dead. I didn't even have COVID just because this thing. I just had a terrible cold thing and mm-hmm. it was the worst and i don't i don't it was it was like i was like i don't think i can do this show and like, no you can't <laughs> everyone's immune systems are shot yeah that's kind of the deal yeah this is ifanboy we are not health officials or professionals uh you should no. not take our advice that may not be true that's true actually i think you should take some of our advice i think we're okay no i'm saying the immune system thing may or may not be true i don't know i'm not a doctor that's a good point 
I saw, I saw a meme. <laughs> we at Fanboy Every Week read our stack of comics. One of the picks, the one they like the best. We call that pick of the week. We talk about the book. We talk about other books. There's a patron pick. There's some listener mail if we have time. I plan, myself personally, I plan to have fun. This is cathartic. Mm-hmm. This is a good time. Connor puts up with me. And the rest of you show up for reasons I still don't fully understand. There will be spoilers. I know there's that. And you had the pick of the week. I mean, they tolerate you, really. Sure. That's what we all do. <laughs> That's literally anyone in my life except my grandmother. And she's So the show you missed last week featured Dr. Reinhardt. He could have talked to us about immune systems, probably. But we talked about the fact that, you know, after Civil War, Marvel was chasing the Civil War dragon for years. And DC's version of that seems to be deceased. Deceased turns out to be surprisingly popular. It spawned like four follow-up miniseries. So now DC is going full in on the Elseworlds books. Like so last week we had DC versus Vampires, which is a similar setup to Deceased. And here we have Tom Taylor returning, who wrote Deceased, to a similar Elseworlds format for the DC Universe. Dark Knights of Steel number one is the pick of the week, with art by Yasmin Putri and letters by Wes Abbott. And this is a sword and sorcery fantasy version of the DC Universe. It's a straight-up Elseworlds book. should be slapped right on the cover, but it's not... I think, first of all, the title is dumb. It's the worst thing about the book. But looking beyond that, I was looking forward to this very much. Love Deceased, love Tom Taylor's work in general. I think he's very good at building alternate worlds that feel familiar with characters that are different, but feel also like they are true to the original characters, especially with DC. He's also doing this over at Marvel with the Dark Ages book. We said this before, Josh, I don't remember if you remember, during Deceased, we, we hoped he didn't get pigeonholed into doing this. However, he's very good at it. Yeah. It's one of those things like Darwin Cook would be like, I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a Silver Age guy. But we're like, you are very good at it. <laughs> very good at that thing. And, and in a way that no one else is. You know, so like, yeah. even though you don't want to do this thing over and over again, everybody else who does it sucks. And Tom Taylor's not just doing that. He's writing Nightwing. He's writing Superboy. He's writing contemporary DC books. That doesn't really make it a pigeonhole. That's more like, you know, Garth Ennis... Less so, but like you know, he gets to do his war books. That's the thing right. that he does. Maybe this is the thing that Tom Taylor loves. He he can clearly still do the other stuff for sure. So this one starts off with a familiar scene: Krypton's in trouble. There's a ship. There's Jor El and Lara, and Lara's pregnant, and they they gotta do it for the baby. And the twist here is that the ship lands on Earth, and well, it's a double twist. Number one, it's it's it lands in like a sword and sorcery version of the Earth, and the other twist is that it's not just the baby; it's it's, it's Jor El and Lara. In a very tight and cozy ship. I hope it wasn't a long flight, because when that door opens, there's no room in that ship. She wasn't pregnant when she got in there. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> smells really bad in there. Just terrible. And then we flash forward to, much later, featuring characters that are much more recognizable, in a feuding sword and sorcery land in which Jor-El and Lara are the king and queens of their realm. Their son, Cal, is the prince. His... Prince Regent Protector is his buddy Bruce and his, uh, I don't say a butler, but his companion Alfred. And there's another king, King Jefferson Pierce, or King Jefferson, and he has a seer named Constantine. So, you know, all the characters we know and love are here. And first of all, I don't know who Yasmin Pucci is, but she, she, I assume, is terrific. Really, really good art. Really nice style that is recognizably... Superhero DCS, but also has a little bit of fantasy bent to it. Great color. Just a little touch of Prince of Valiant that's needed here. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really nice. I've never seen her name before, but wonderful. I'm wondering as I read through this, at what point you decided it was pick of the week. Because one thing I noticed here is that there's several things that were interesting and unexpected, which you know, in our game, in the comics in the comics <laughs> talk game. Right. You know, things that are unexpected are breaths of fresh air because there are many, 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 the vast majority of things that happen are quite expected. And so, you know, the first is that page turn of like, oh, they're in the ship. It's not, you know, that's the difference. Because right up until, you know, what was it up until page four is just another Superman origin. So Mm -hmm. I was like, why am I reading Superman origin? And then you see that first twist. There's the castle too. So there's those things. Second one is, I think for me, is Batman being there. But also the presence of that Alfred. I saw that Alfred and I was like, oh, Connor's going to like that. (laughs) Connor's definitely going to like that Alfred. And then the final twist, and I am going to go ahead and spoil this because I don't know another way to talk about it. Yeah, we gave a spoiler warning. The the reveal at the end is that Bruce is actually the illegitimate child of Jor-El 
uh, in Whoever Bruce's mother is. I don't remember. Martha, and, I guess. And that... <laughs> Martha. And I think that was the part where the writer wisely chose, he's like, you know what? Let's break this formula. Mm-hmm. Let's not make everything completely parallel to what we've already known before. Right. And that genuinely surprised me, although they kind of alluded to it. It wasn't like it was from out of nowhere, but that wasn't what I expected it to be. And that's interesting for all sorts of reasons that we don't need to go into. And then I guess the last bit is that the part that I don't really understand, you know, is that there's no supervillains. All the, the heroes are fighting the heroes, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, Ollie Queen assassinates Jor-El from very, very far away with the help of a Green Lantern ring. Jefferson Pierce, you know, the Black Lightning in this seems to be the evil villain in this. You know, that's or at least he's just he's just the warring king. You know, he's I know, but but in a but in a world where you're used to heroes and villains, yes, that's the slot you put him in for now. He's the antagonist. Yeah. Again, there's all these things that are familiar, but you're on your back foot because they don't quite add up to what you are used to seeing. And I find that very interesting. That's the strength of the Elseworlds, is that it takes the familiar thing and, and puts enough twists on it to keep it, you know, on your toes and unexpected. I think a lot of times, though, where they do that, it's interesting, but they still follow the script to the, for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. the heroes, the heroes, and the, uh, the relationships are the same, and it's really like about adjusting. A lot of times, the ones that are fine, and they're fun, but they don't really stand out, is they adjust the lens a little bit to be like, yeah, but here they all have swords. And other than right. that, it is pretty much the same. And this is a different structure. And I think that that's interesting. And I said at the beginning, I think Tom Taylor clearly puts a lot of thought into this world he's building. It feels like these are fully fleshed out, you know, ideas. He's got a board somewhere with the whole yeah. map of the realm. You know, like it feels deep. You know, Batman has his Robins, but they're all little spies, much like the Sparrows and Game of Thrones. You know, they're Dick and Duke and Stephanie and Jason. And who else is the other one? That's it. Those four. Then there's a secret one that's in Jefferson's court, which I assume is Damien. Or not Damien, because Bruce was too young for a child, so it's probably Tim. Or it could be Cassie. could be anyone, really. So many of them. Right. But it just feels like there's a fully fleshed out world. The interesting relationship between Clark and Bruce was fun. You know, they are like brothers and friends. They butt heads. And then you find out they actually are brothers. You know, Bruce is the protector of the realm, so he's going out to investigate this rumor of a assassin coming for Jor-El, and Clark wants to come, but he's, you know, he's the prince, he can't come, but turns out Dinah's the would-be assassin, and there's a little fight scene with her, and that was fun. It's just, there's all kinds of interesting twists here. Harley Quinn is the actual jester of the court, because hmm. can't have DC stories without Harley Quinn in it. And you, you're right, the ending, the assassination of Jor-El by Oliver Queen was surprising. Yeah. And it's a 12-issue miniseries, so there's a lot of room to play here. And I think you bring up a good point is that we, we've talked about Tom Taylor's work a lot. We've talked about Tom Taylor's Elseworlds work a lot. It's such to the extent that it, I don't know that there's a heck of a lot to say sometimes. But I think that we always talk about his strength of characters. Mm-hmm. He just really gets the core of who those folks are, and he makes them fun to watch them interact with each other. And because he takes them out of the context of everything, we don't have to deal with everything else, so we can just enjoy those relationships, even if they're in different clothing. In this. I think what we're, and you were, you were talking about it, is that there's an incredible strength of plotting, which is probably yeah. always there, but, you know, really just in terms of story structure and, and putting everything in a way that brings something new to the table, it is really strong. And yeah. I think that we, don't, we probably don't even talk about that part enough because we're just like, isn't it great to watch Ollie and Dinah together? <laughs> which gets you a long way, but it only gets you so far. It doesn't get you to just stick around forever. You can't trust me. You can't make a, a career on, on having fun dialogue and not knowing how to plot anything. That's the strength is he has great character moments within the structure of terrific plotting. And the Deceased yeah. was terrifically plotted. Remember, we were always so worried about how it would yeah. fall apart, and it never did. Yeah. And again, one of the strengths of Deceased for me was the Trevor Harrison art in the main book, and then you had some really terrific art in the side books, and Yasmin Putri is terrific. I'm looking at the scene where Dinah screams at Batman with her power and it's just this great circular that is a really great page turn too that is a quality page turn and the color on that is really good like if you look at what the prior page looks like and then you flip and you've sort of got the color that is also like it it relates to the page before it's not from Mm -hmm. out of nowhere but it explodes from where it was and look at the previous page with that great down angle from the rafters of the room with Bruce mm-hmm. holding a sword over her. There's a crucifix sort of image there that you're kind of half aware of. And even before that, the page before, where he's walking through the robins and grabbing his sword from his back. like it, This is a really terrifically drawn book. In an age where we've talked a lot about how, in general, across the board, art seems to have dropped off a bit. 
every once in a while, someone who's you're not familiar with shows up. You're just like, damn, who is this, and where have they been? I, I think we're not lacking for people with really beautiful styles. But now that you are mentioning it, if you go through this from a, just looking at it from a composition and storytelling standpoint, mm-hmm. there's an interesting camera angle on every single page, if not more than one. It's yep. very cinematic. It's very well constructed. The first page, the one before the explosion, is page 16 on the digital reader, mm-hmm. where he walks in on the sleeping, and the sword comes across two panels and points down to her face. Right. And then just beyond that is the Batman silhouette. You know, the light is coming in from the side. You go to that next panel, there's, like I said, this is a crucifix image, and Batman here is the unknown son of the yep. king superhero. There's a lot. It's pretty great. Yeah. Like once you start looking for it, you can find it. It's so thoughtful. Yeah, that's why when I got to the end of this book, I was like, well, fuck. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the last book I read, but it was close, which means it was one of the most anticipated books. And uh, the next couple books better be really good to beat this. And, you know, at the end of the day, nothing did. Because this is an exciting new story, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens next, especially after that cliffhanger. You know what? Here's the greatest compliment I can give. I just found an example of left-hand panel stacking that I did not notice as I was reading it. <laughs> there's also a couple of places where she breaks panel borders mm-hmm. in a really fun way i've been noticing that a lot more lately like i feel yes. like people are starting to rediscover it it's being a trend and it's great it's my favorite yeah it's awesome so the other big release this week that we we're looking forward to was the human target number one from tom king greg smallwood clayton cowles and if you want to talk about a super highly anticipated books especially for me who's a big tom king fan a big greg smallwood fan and also a huge justice league international fan this was a highly anticipated book and if you do want to talk about incredible art, Greg Smallwood also needs to stop it, preemptively. He's the only artist I can think of that I have picked up books that I had no intention of reading, just right. to look at the art. And so what's interesting is that in the time since I have been on this show, I put out a rather long conversation with myself and Tom King. That's right. I did that on Tuesday. It was actually the last thing I got. I got the cold right as that was sort of happened while I was talking to him. And I had no idea that this book existed, nor did he mention it. And so we did not talk about this book at all. <laughs> it was like the next day on his Instagram, he's like, you know, this is finally coming out. And I was like, oh, did they just renounce this? I was like, no, no, didn't talk about it at all. So we're going to talk about that podcast. We'll mention that later. Don't look for anything on this book in it because it is not there. Sorry. So. That said, so the next day, like I had had this great conversation with Tom, and then I saw the book, and I was like, "This book looks great. I wish I'd talked to him about it." So I got my anticipation way up to start reading it. You know, it is much like a first issue of for Tom King's books, and I think that's pretty true across the board, other than Supergirl which, and probably Superman. You know, we don't know a lot about what's going on here, other than it seems that Christopher Chance, who is the human target, is dying. He's been poisoned and doesn't know by whom, doesn't know why, and doesn't have a lot of time left. I think they do a fairly good job of setting up sort of the stakes and what's going on. I think the thing that mm-hmm. we, I don't know is I don't actually know anything about this character. Like, I personally don't really have a lot of experience with it. You know, the, the look of it gives me an instant sort of feeling. And obviously, there's a sort of noirish element at the beginning. But that's kind of all I know. You know, when they switch to Justice League International, like, I really only have a vague recollection of that. You know, mm-hmm. I I know what it is. I know when it happened. I know the characters and I know the tone of it, but I don't remember any of the details of the story or anything like that. Right. But in terms of setting up who the guy is, what he does, and where he fits in the DC universe, I think that was really well done. Yeah, A lot happened in here. You had a Dr. Midnight scene. I was like, all right, he's kind of a hero. And Lex keeps referring to him as one of the superhero guys, you know, and his friends are the superheroes. But he's also doing this job for Lex Luthor, you know. So he's, he's mingling in different worlds. I mean, he's not really a superhero. He is just a guy who uh, you hire to be your body double. He's the human target. If someone's trying to kill you, you hire him. And it's pretty he can double you perfectly and then uncover the plot, move on to the next job. He's had two TV series in the course of oh, my wow. lifetime. One in the 90s and one probably about 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Right. Pete Milligan did maybe the only other series of this I've read. The character's been around for a while. So they didn't rip this off from us. This isn't a thing that we came up with for a patron. No, they did not. Because it sounds like it when you describe it. And no. I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd thought of that. So while he might technically be a superhero, I mean, I don't really consider him like a superhero. I mean, he's, right. he's a hero. I, I think I mean with like the crowd that he runs with. Yeah. Like it's more like he's like a Constantine kind of thing, or at least the old version of it. Like, yeah, for sure. He's someone on the he edges. Call them. And, you know, if someone's trying to kill Lex Luthor, double Lex Luthor, and that's fine. 
and how he ties into the Justice League International, we'll find out. The only tie-in is that the poison is from this planet, this radiation from this planet. The only people that on record ever gone to the planet were the Justice League International. So someone must have poisoned him from the group, and we see a group shot of all the suspects. And this is sort of your mid-range team, not the original team, Justice League International, but not the later team. So this is sort of your mid mid-range team. That means Tom King's going to do some Mr. Miracle writing again. Yeah. Let's talk about Smallwood. He doesn't work a ton, so it's not like we're talking about it all the time, but whatever we do, we always are talking about it when we see him. Just amazing. He last thing I saw of him was he had that short story in the Batman black and white, but also there was that Nick Fury story. The Modoc Nick Fury story that we read. Yeah. Okay, I remember that now. In sixties Vegas in that other anthology. Him? Yeah. Oh, okay. There was a James Robinson Nick Fury story that I, I mix up with that, but no, it was the one that was in that anthology, which I can't even remember what anthology it was. Remember what I was gambling at the, at the yeah. table? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, I mean, it, when, we're, when we're looking at this book, I have a hard time reviewing the book because it looks like this. And so, <laughs> like, how was the story? I was like, I think the story was pretty good. I think it was well done. It's a fairly straightforward, you know, version of the murder mystery kind of thing that Tom King mm-hmm. does. And it's this noir thing. And I think it was good. I wasn't lost. It certainly wasn't to the extent of like the first issue of Rorschach. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Right. And you know, so like I get it. I get exactly what it is. But the art is so amazing that I was like, I, I don't know. It, it seems like it's pretty great, but I couldn't <laughs> tell you. It, it's like you've met a beautiful person. Like what were yeah. they like? They were so beautiful. I, I, you don't remember anything else about it. That's right. what this art is like. I know I, I just mentioned him before, but like it's very difficult for me to not connect Darwin Cook to this art. Oh, it's a very similar aesthetic. It's not a similar style, but a similar aesthetic. It's not a similar style, but like it's not like if you substituted Darwin's lines for the the lines that are in here and you put those figures in, like it doesn't look unlike one of those books. Like this looks right. like a book that he would do in composition. There is a simplicity of line. There's a little extra added to it that Cook didn't do. And there's pages that he wouldn't do in here, but there's a lot of them he would. You know, there's like this doesn't not look like a Parker book. Right. It was especially true in that Nick Fury story, which was in that Marvel. Remember the uh, the Marvel's anthology? That mm-hmm. One of them was the pick of the week. That was the worst yeah, yeah. Nick Fury story was. It's nice, thick lines. It's more of a realistic style than Darwin's, but it's also, it's not it's photorealistic. It's, not, it's also it's graphic, though. Yeah. Like, it's very graphic and design heavy, but he goes both ways. Like, if he needs to do that design thing, that cartoony make you feel something with an image with its big pieces to break it down you know he can do that but you can turn a page and all of a sudden you have a photographic style which roots you to the earth in a different Mm -hmm. way so the page where the car they show it's a full page of the car crashed up against a tree right it's telling you a lot with an image it's not so much about the realisticness of the car the car is fine but if you look at the trees they're very impressionistic all the colors are kind of all over the place then you go to the page that is the shot the group shot of the Justice League, it is both indicative of... Who's the artist? Maguire. It's Maguire that influences there, but also is drawn such a way, and Maguire did this, that they look like real people, so yeah. it looks like people in costumes, like real people in costumes. Right. So he's taken it both ways. He's done that that graphic thing, and then he all of a sudden like roots you on the ground again with a photo that looks realistic. And that's really interesting. That is a skill. There's no one else who draws like him that I'm aware of. One of the things I really like about his style is that it's tactile. Yeah. It's not as tactile as, say, uh, Isad Rebic, but it's like you can see the shading marks of the pencil yeah. underneath the colors. Yeah, I found I myself love... wondering if it was digital in some of the instances. Like, and if it is digital, then he uses the digital tools in exactly like he Yeah, I think it is. And my pencil, I mean the digital pencil, but I, th- I think I saw yeah. he had posted a process thing yeah. a while back. Like, here's all the steps it takes. And it's very complicated, <laughs> the steps. You know, like you said, nobody draws like him and you're not wrong, but like it feels so familiar. Like I've, I feel like I've seen a ton of his art and I haven't, you know what I mean? Right. Like it just, it, it's, it's like comfortable clothing. I, right. It just, it, it just feels like it is what it's supposed to be and it's right there. Even the but you're right. There's, there's several styles in this issue. There's like three or four yeah. different styles he uses. But they mesh. And they're subtle. And the colors are so good. And I just looked to make sure and like he did the colors. But yeah, you know, did everything is so yeah. iconographic. It's, oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Beautiful. Look at the alarm clock on page three. That shot of that alarm clock puts me at a time and a place more than anything else in the book. Oh, yeah. that kind of clock. 
Yep. I still have a hard time being like, here's what was good about the construction rules. Like, it just made you feel a way as you went through the pages, and that's what made it work. And in this case, you know, Tom's best move is probably going to be to know where to get out of the way, which I'm sure he does with other people. But with this, it's just like, draw the thing. Do the thing you do really well, and, and we'll fill in the blanks. Yeah. This terrific. It goes without saying, but Tom King's very good at working with terrific artists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His yeah. whole, whole stable is terrific. Let's switch gears and talk about <laughs> Batman Superman The Authority Special Number One, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and art by the artist we just mentioned and previously Trevor Harrison and also Ben Templesmith, depending on which part of the story you were in. And A, not expecting a Ben Templesmith superhero book from DC this week, but B, Superman is just a goddamn mess right now. I knew this was coming. I don't know if you haven't reading all the issues or reading everything, but it came to a head on a show you weren't on recently, not last week, but before that. So I don't know if, if you're behind Listen, or I what. I show up when I want to. You can't control me. I'm a drifter, baby. I was born <laughs> to walk alone. Alone or Dottie, a rebel. That's right. The show you weren't on was the finale of the Grant Morrison miniseries, which we thought was out of continuity, but revealed at the end it was in continuity. So somehow Superman's leaving the Earth because if either white kryptonite and grant morrison story or because of liberating war world and the philip kennedy johnson story he's old with great temples in the morrison story he's losing his powers in the morrison story he's wearing a different costume in the morrison story he's normal costumed and not losing his powers in the philip kennedy johnson story and yet they apparently all are taking place concurrently in the same world so you figure it out either way he's leaving the earth with the authority on his side but before that <laughs> just stringing this out before they leave they have a little adventure with batman in Shadow Earth, which is the terrible, evil Earth. And uh, I thought this was, like, for what it was, it was fun and it looked great. But, like, fucking super, they're, they're fucking Superman again for no good reason. The biggest problem from here seems that that part, the Superman sort of, like, the inconsistency seems to have come mostly from that miniseries, that Grant Morrison miniseries drawn by... Who drew it? Michael Jannon. Oh, okay. I'm guessing that was like, they were getting those pages like, this doesn't match. And it's like, we don't know what to do. And so they just kind of went with it. Or, or maybe that wasn't supposed to be what it was in the beginning. And then by the end, they decided to fold it in. And that's why, I'd, I don't know. But everything else seems to be relatively consistent. But I was confused. I think I asked you about it. And you're like, I was like, what the hell's going on? You're like, he's going to War World. I was like, oh, right. They mentioned that in one of the books, but none of the other ones. And so you're right. And they're botching the rollout of Superman leaving. Yes. But push that all to the side, and this is kind of an interesting one-shot story. That no, I, I, I like the issue. And, it's just yeah, yeah. But I think that that's how you have to take most of this stuff. <laughs> it looks really good, and I appreciate the weirdness of Ben Templesmith drawing Superman and Batman having an adventure together. Can I tell you, I missed his name in the credits, and when I got to those parts, I was looking. I was like, why does this look familiar, and why can't I place it? <laughs> and if you look at the credit page on the first, like, because I, I looked at it, I looked at the credit page, and it was like Philip Kennedy Johnson, Trevor Hersine, Jonathan Glappin, Scott Hanna, Rain Barreto. At that point, I just faded out. I was like, all right, there's a bunch of artists. And I didn't get to the next line that said Ben Templesmith. Right. So, like, it just didn't quite click because it's a the credits were not very it. clearly written. I mean, that's Trevor Harrison and, and two inkers and a colorist, but they don't really tell you that. They just say art by. Yeah. And then Ben Templesmith is the other. I get it. We all want to be equal under the law, but I want to know who's doing what part. You know, it was fun. Batman, you know, not liking and trusting this team was fun. Batman and Midnighter posturing. I kind of want Batman, Midnighter, and Wildcat to all get in an elevator together and get stuck. <laughs> I did lose the thread of the plot a little bit. Like I was, I don't, I didn't quite get that. That was these are the same Al Ghouls, and that's Talia, and there's a Bruce, and I yeah, I got it. that, and I, I knew that was going to be Bruce revealed because of the way it was set up and on this world. It's the evil versions of them. Yeah, you know, it's just it's very standard. So they they want to invade our Earth, the regular DC Earth, and they have this team has to stop them, and they do. And... My basic review of it is this: I saw it, and I was like, oh, I've been reading all the stuff around this, so I guess I should read this, but it's a special, and I'm not sure that I want to. And then at the end of it, I thought, oh, I'm pretty glad I read that. I'm okay with that. That's my right. review. That's how I take it. Correct. That's also my review. On the other hand, I can't shake the notion that what they're doing with Superman is stupid, and they're doing it for no reason. But, hey, why not? He's just your flagship character. I assume we'll be following Superman during this while he's... Yeah, I think we are going to follow him in of... action comics, I think. There's a point here where... So the whole tension was that Superman's taking the authority of Warworld because the Justice League wouldn't go with him, right? He asked them to come help him liberate War World, and they said, nah, we're good, which didn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't buy the basic conceit of all that. Like, that's true. Like Here he says, I don't buy it. hey, Batman, I was annoyed that you didn't come with me, but I get it. You're needed here. And I was like, so are you. Like, 
Like it's not. It's, I mean, the, it, it, sense. It, it, it's a it's a stretch of comic book logic to be like, we can't go Superman. We have too much to do here. And I was right. like, that's that's stupid. We have comic book logic. It doesn't matter. Right. You'd all go. You started five books. You've got more than enough time. Right. You tell the story. Peter Parker needs a thirty-six hour day. Right. It doesn't matter. You just do it and you accept it. So that's that's dumb. Like it's it's like pulling in a real world thing from out of nowhere. Like we, we I thought we decided we weren't pulling in real world things. Right. So, so th- that feels like a red herring to me. It's a, a Deus Ex Machina or whatever it is to get him into this situation. Like it would have made more sense to be like, I have to do this alone. And you would have bought that better than right. no one helps. No one helps Superman. Superman is the guy you would call to pick you up at the airport. He'd be like, oh, okay. Right. Like he yeah. would do it. He wouldn't even let you know that it was annoying. You tell me you but couldn't get a couple of couple of B level Justice Leaguers to go with him. Firestorm is yeah. too busy. Doesn't make any sense. Superman asks for help people help him. The problem is when you build a house on a faulty foundation, yep. doesn't matter how good the house looks. It's gonna collapse eventually. Yeah. But also that's comics. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you that there was a point where I was reading Radiant Black number nine from Kyle Higgins and Eduardo Ferragato. I was like, is this the pick of the week? And then it fell apart. Yeah, I was I saw that you put it on here. Before I had read it, and I thought, that's interesting, because to me, it's been losing a little steam. Like, at first was interesting, and really, when yes. they when they yes. put the first character in the hospital, I started to lose interest. And not only lose interest, I started to lose the thread, because then I felt like we were skipping chapters or whatever, because all of a sudden, all the people were around, and there's some sort of story that happened between the different radiants that I don't really right. understand, or I don't right. remember. Like, it didn't stick with me, but apparently it's very significant to these characters. So I'm guessing when they stopped counting days on this thing, actually, no, they did it the whole way through. Go ahead. When did it fall apart for you? Why don't you talk about the book? If you recall, because we talked about Radiant Black a lot when it first came out, the main he- character, the hero who found the suit and became Radiant Black, he got killed about, I don't know what I'm going to say, six or seven issues in. Well, he got put into a coma. Right. And his buddy Styles took over, who was the, who was the wisecracking sidekick. Styles has now been Radiant Black, and he's been dealing with the adventures of Radiant Black. And if, if you don't understand the reference, Styles, good. You're too young, and you don't deserve it. Yeah. Probably <laughs> you're sitting here, and nothing hurts. <laughs> but you have never been on top of a delivery van surfing. <laughs> Teen Wolf is a terrible movie. Like, we watched it, like, a year or two ago. We were like, oh, this will be fun. It is an awful movie. Not good. Go ahead. So... I thought this issue was basically Styles coming to terms with the death of his friend. You know, he's going through grief. He, he's got to deal with stuff, but we keep jumping forward in time. He's visiting his friend every day to talk, talk to him, but also, you know, he's trying to be a better hero and deal with stuff, but he's backfiring. And But he keeps returning to his friend who's in the hospital. And then at the end, they're like, we have to pull the plug on him. You know, and this is after he gets the ex-girlfriend to show up. Like, all the things that you sort of do to right the wrongs and close the books. And I thought, well... That's really interesting. I really bought into it. I really liked the emotion of it. I thought his reactions to things felt real. This felt like a very real comic book, you know, this alien superhero adventure. But then at the very end, he doesn't land the plane. He pulls it up, and maybe he's not really dead. And I thought, well, that sort of undercut the whole issue for me. So it was up until the very end where I thought this could be the pick of the week because I read, I read it very early on. I hadn't read Dark Knights of Steel yet. Probably would have been the pick of the week. But I thought this is a really emotional issue. It, it feels real. feels raw. feels like a thing they don't really do in comics, at least these kind of comics. And then at the end, the alien in his head says, here's how you can go get him back. So I guess my counterpoint to that is, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, I think that if it had all been a very special issue of he dies and at the end they all stand around crying over captain marvel's body you're right that doesn't undercut the emotion of it but also it's completely expected because you know exactly where it's going so if the twist is as you say very good metaphor pulling the nose of the plane up i'm kind of okay with that because like it's interesting because i don't like this styles character very much however (laughs) no 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 wait though however he does the thing that I do admire more than anything else is that he is the best friend. He's kind of a fuck yep. up, and he, but he loves his friend, and he will do anything for it. And so even though he seems to be this you know, sort of self-involved loser, like the one thing that he has for him is that he loves his friend, and that makes me love a character. And so if he gets the opportunity to save the friend and do it, like that's the ultimate thing you can do for it. So I don't think that that is a bad choice plot-wise. Also... I need the story to, like, I want the story. I don't want this to go on. I don't know if this is supposed to be an ongoing, but wrap it up. You know, so, like, if that's sort of part, like, the things that he's doing on his own as this rating character, I don't care about. 
And so, you know, to me, the crux of this book seems to be about the relationship between these two people. So you can kill it and have that be the end, or you can find a way to bring it back and keep, you know, change that dynamic, but at least they're together. I don't know. What I do want to respect probably more than enjoy is I think that a ton happened in this book and the structure was very complicated. Yeah. And it was done really well. Such the extent is I don't really remember who all these people are or whatever, but it was done in such a way that I I wasn't lost. Once I got my bearings at the beginning, by the way, he has a group of children who taunt him mercilessly outside his house every morning. <laughs> yeah, so that's, there was a really nice rhythm to the story where he wakes up, he showers, he has cereal, he has a joint, he goes to his porch to eat his breakfast and drink some of his joint, and the neighborhood teenagers walking to school taunt him mercilessly <laughs> every day. And they keep returning to that scene, the same thing. Like, we see the town where the accident happened, we see him get up, look at his phone, shower, food, joint, teenagers. And we see that it's like a device throughout the whole thing that delineates the passage of time and I thought it worked really, really well. And then, because at the end, when they think they're pulling the plug, the teenagers walk by the house, but he's not there. So that's sort of like your gut punch moment, where even they seem like to know what's going on. I don't know that. We only see them for one panel, but they have stopped in their tracks because he's not there. It's not like they just walked by. So I thought the emotion was building towards this story we're telling, because we said at the, at the time when the main hero, quote unquote, died and the best friend took over, this is something we hadn't really seen before. Yeah, And so I thought we were really leading that way. And I thought, well, I was just disappointed we, we didn't go that way. And I agree with you. The overall story of this, I'm finding myself less and less into. And I actually read 8 and 9 this week because I had mm-hmm. missed 8 or I was off. Did that help? No, because I wasn't super into what happened in 8. And then I was like, right. well, am I done with this book? Well, I'll read, I'll read the next one. And then I, I really liked this one. So, But then even though I was disappointed by the ending, I really liked it. So I don't know. This is clearly an ongoing, as most image books are. Yeah, but just, it's always a question of like how much is in the tank. Yeah. This was worth talking about. It was a good single issue. I liked what happened in it. I thought the structure was good. I liked the character stuff. I don't know how much longer I have on the book, but I I did really like this issue, even if I didn't love the ending. Respect the game. Let's keep moving and talk about The Blue Flame, number five. This is very similar to what we just talked about with Radiant Black, where I thought, am I into this anymore? Who publishes this? Because I forgot it existed. This is from Vault. Vault. That's probably why I missed it. I kind of remember it. I saw the title and I thought, that's the thing I remember. And this then is I'm Christopher Cantwell doing, the script. started doing Dark Hawk, but it's not really that. This was the issue where I thought, you know what? I don't really care about the stuff going on in space. This is the dual storytelling, if you recall, where a bunch of real life superheroes, and in real life, I mean like the ones we have in our our world, where there's people who walk mm-hmm. around and say, I'm a superhero, and they're, they're vigilantes, and the local news covers them, and we all, have a, we all have a head shake about it and move on with our day. They got shot by a gunman at a comic convention, if you recall. Like 25 people got shot and killed, including his whole team. And the main character got hurt really badly. And so we've been doing dual storytelling of him dealing with the fallout of the shooting and while also being in space, having to plead the case for Earth to this alien race that's going to destroy the planet if he can't convince them that Earth deserves to live. So that's the story for these five issues so far. And I haven't really been really into the space story at all. I don't know why it's happening. I don't really find it interesting. What I do really find really interesting is the Earth stuff where this guy's dealing with the PTSD and the trauma of having been in this mass shooting and his friends all getting killed and having visions of the gunman. And in this issue, he goes to group trauma therapy for the first time because his sister is worried about him. Like That's all been really good. But then I kept going back to the space bits and I was like, I don't really care about this. I don't understand why it's happening. And then, and then something interesting happened where the two scenes started bleeding into each other. So now the question is, is he hallucinating this whole space situation? Because he's out having somewhat of a date with a reporter who had interviewed him before. And then he's also in space talking to the prosecutor and they're sharing a drink and it's parallel storytelling and the dialogue starts overlapping. And then you're like, oh, so he is actually not in space at any point. This is all in his head. It happened in a really elegant way. I liked this issue. It's enough to keep me going for another couple but I thought this is my make or break issue, and it turned out that this was really interesting. Hmm. So I was uh, surprised to learn that crossover is still a thing. Yeah, I wanted to mention this is another book where I was, I think I was too behind because of the time I was off before. So again, I'm not sure about crossover, but it's, there's enough interesting that happens every week. This is Donnie Cates and Jeff Shaw, or every month. And you know, the overall story is that comic book characters burst into the real world and the fallout of that and for the most part it's image characters because it's an image book and they can't really show the dc and marvel characters they can mention them though and the subplot in the beginning at least was that 
someone's murdering comic book creators. Like Brian K. Vaughn was murdered in the first issue. And then there was a whole issue about Ship Zdarsky being on the run from someone trying to kill him. Here, one of the characters is being interrogated. And we've introduced a couple issues ago, uh, Pilgrim and Walker from Powers, as those are the main investigators in this book. And so there's a bunch of winky, winky, nodded things to their dialogue from Powers and there's a double-page spread in which we get the crazy Bendis circular balloons and everything. And mm-hmm. the person being interrogated is a comic book fan, so she says, oh, so we're doing powers, let's do powers. And so that's when it gets crazy with uh, the dialogue. And that was fun. And then the idea here is there's two theories going on in this book. One is, are the creations murdering their creators? Meaning, did uh, York kill Brian K. Vaughn? Or is someone murdering their creators in order to make the creations disappear? The theory being, if you kill Brian K. Vaughn, all of his creations disappear from the world. Those are the two working theories. And at the end, there's a new crime scene, and a eh, not very well-drawn Scott Snyder has been murdered. and He's lying there dead in an alley. And they go to the crime scene, and Pilgrim and Walker, and they find the murder weapon was a Batarang. So did Batman murder Scott Snyder, or is, it just, is he being framed? So there's enough here for me to keep holding on, even though I'm not entirely sure what we're doing. Can I tell you that, mm-hmm. and, and no offense to you at all, I lost interest as you were talking about it. That's and not near the end. I lost interest early, and I th- and I thought, you know, you're on this show. <laughs> it's fine. You have to listen. <laughs> you don't like the meta stuff? That's totally okay. I don't. I don't at all. This is all like, yeah, I don't. I don't dig it. I, which is different than which is interesting because it's different than over in we are talking forever about each book we must have missed each other over in the Rorschach book and then in Hey Kids Comics or whatever it was mm-hmm. just like I cannot get enough of old Frank Miller and Otto Binder and uh, mm-hmm. you know Roy Thomas being at it like I'm cool with that like talking about the current guys and the, the all of the comic dudes who know each other mm-hmm. doing themselves in stories like i don't it bothers the shit out of me and i'm not even saying it's wrong i'm just not interested superman 78 number three you were super excited about this book yeah. and we never got a chance to talk about it and i read all three of them this week mm-hmm. beforehand and i and i wanted to like did it live up to your because the batman 89 did not yeah this is the much stronger of the two uh, movie tie-in books my only real criticism is that I don't know that we've moved far enough along in the story, considering we're mm-hmm. three of six. Yeah. But yeah. I got a big kick out of Gene Hackman and Lex Luthor this week. I, I got to say, I enjoy the heck out of this. Like, I was like, it just looks beautiful. Yes. Again, it's one of those things like, I, don't know, I honestly don't even know if it's good. I just like hanging out in it. Not in our town, Jack. Yeah. It's just Superman in, in a certain form, you know. If I were to go through and, and review the script and actual structure of the Superman movie, I mm-hmm. don't know what I'd say. It doesn't matter. But in terms of a package and a thing that made me feel a way, mm-hmm. uh, it, I think it's super fun. And they did a thing that they couldn't do in the movies, but not outside of the tone at the time, but right. not outside of the tone of what the movie is. And I'm cool with it. Yeah, Superman gets taken by Brainiac and gets zapped down into Candor, the bottle city, where mm-hmm. he finds his family. Jor-El and Lara are there. So Marlon Brando and the actress who played Lara and... Superman puts on the white suit, the white suit of Krypton. And Are there any areas where we can see whether or not Jor-El is wearing pants? <laughs> I don't think we can see that. He's just wearing a big old muumuu. Yeah, because he's not going to work in pants. That's <laughs> what not. I know about Marlon Brando Jor-El. And he's going to read up cue cards. He's going to make $50 million. Yeah. That's fine. And he's going to Krypton. Krypton. So, <laughs> are you still on the silver <laughs> coin? The silver yeah, coin yeah. number six came out this week. It's such a weird thing where like, it's just this list of more or less top tier writers mm-hmm. do a story. Michael Walsh, you know, runs the whole thing and he he draws it. And I've been looking at like the lineup of who did it. And I was like, this is this weird like clubhouse thing with a, with a high level of talent. But I think what's just on, we don't want to go on forever. But like this first, this one's the Joshua Williamson story. And if you only know Josh from his DC work, he seems like a guy who just does great DC work. And yeah. that's his thing. But the fact is, he's actually a really good genre writer. And right. he, like, if you look at his indie work from before he really hit it in the mainstream part, like he's all over the place. He did stuff of many stripes, and and I kind of forgot that. And I was like, oh wow, this is a talented dude, you know. And I I think that it's the opposite. The consistency of this, it's always the other way around. It's always one writer and many artists to do this kind of thing. And this is the opposite. Right. And the artist is the one who is, you know, the creative force behind it. And I, even though this isn't like my favorite kind of thing even, but it's, they're nice quick hits and you sort of get a different feel and, and it's enjoyable. This is the 80s arcade one. Yeah. <laughs> and they cut at one point, and she's not even a character, they cut at one point to some girl, you know, playing a video game and she is dressed in her like 80s thing with her short hair. And I just thought, I love you. 
<laughs> it was just like a sense memory of a time that I was like, I think that's the platonic ideal of beauty. And it wasn't even a character, but I was like, well, I know exactly where they are right now because he's the same age as us and grew up yeah. in the same kind of thing. It's an anthology about a magical cursed coin. And here a kid at a arcade is constantly being bullied by the... I want to say cooler, older kids at the arcade, but the air quoting cooler, finds the silver coin in a fountain and uses it to play the fighting game that he keeps losing at. And turns out it all goes wrong for everybody. But I thought this was, you know, it's on the edge of being slightly more gruesome than I care to read, but I liked it. I thought it was good. Well, that gruesomeness worked in this in the context yes. if we were talking about, like, I mean, I'm sure you do, but when Mortal Kombat came out, that was a thing. Like, that right. was a world-changing event in a way that I, you know, like, I felt it at the time, though. Like, this is different. And, you know, like, we've seen what video games happened after that. I don't know if people can realize, but, like, I remember that summer, and I was 12, or whatever it was, or, or 11, or, you know, 13, whatever, is right in there, exactly where this character was. And they just took that in a slightly different, interesting place. Again, I think this concept is going to get old at some point, but I'm not there yet. And I'm surprised about that, so I, I like that. So we talked about the books we wanted to talk about. Let's talk about the patron pick. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is the place where all the patrons who are signed up can vote to add a book to the rundown. And this week, the overwhelming favorite by a wide margin was Newburn number 1 from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, drawn by Jacob Phillips, and a backup story written by Nadia Shamas, and art by Ziad Yusuf Ayoub, letters by Frank Svetkovic. I was surprised to see another Jacob Phillips drawn crime book come out, considering he's also drawing... That Texas blood right now. I don't actually want to give away my review, but here we are. What I thought was, oh yeah, that's that's a much better script than what he's been drawing before. <laughs> and I like that Texas blood, but I was like, there's the difference. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it was a much stronger script. And it also made him, we can get into it, but it made him have to work harder than I think he has to work on that Texas blood. Because that Texas blood is a lot of like dudes standing around thinking. Yeah. And this, he had to do a lot more things. I don't want to denigrate Texas, but I do like. No, I don't. Like I don't either. And that's and that's the point. I like yeah. that book a lot, but the contrast was pretty stark. I think, and I'm talking about a book that I like. There were some things my hair didn't love, but Newburn is a story of a PI, or I guess he's a PI named Newburn. Yeah, they call him that, but he, yeah, he's an ex-cop who does PI work for all as a neutral party for all of the crime families in wherever they are, New York, which is a damn fine concept. Yeah, so he he uh, comes in, in this issue, a super low-level person in a crime family is murdered, and so he gets called in by the boss to investigate it. He's the one that sort of keeps the peace between the families. He's the UN peacekeeper right. of crime in this place. You know, he's the... And this is basically a one-shot. impartial arbiter. Is it? The book isn't, but this story is. It's all wrapped up in the first oh, yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. He, he solves the crime in the first issue. It's not like we're going to follow this for six issues, at least not in this form. And so he figures out that this was a drug deal gone bad, and the neighbor was in on it, but he, didn't, he hires the neighbor to be his assistant. And it's all wrapped up. My only two criticisms, and they're, they're fairly minor, is one, it happened very quickly. And we only have so many pages in a modern comic, and to wrap up a mystery in one issue... It means there's going to be a lot of leaps in things that are discovered. I'll give you like, that. Like at some point, he's like, I figured it out because I smelled the paint. And I was like, did we get that information before? Or did this just like a sort of like a reveal out of nowhere? The only information we got was that he smelled the cologne. Right. But they didn't mention the paint, which is interesting that it would have stood out at the same time. But no, that's it's you're making excellent points. <laughs> this is totally like a personal thing. But Josh, on page 10 of your reader, when we see the crime boss, he, he's a guy in like a pink polo who looks a little bit like Chip Zdarsky. And I don't know that this guy's running a mob family in New York City. I don't actually disagree with that in terms of, first of all, I didn't know they looked like Chip Zdarsky, so. A little bit. But two, like, I liked the idea that, in my mind, just, you know, having read about the mafia, and like, these people are not impressive in person. No, no, I'm not saying he needs to look like Vito Corleone. Yeah, yeah, no, but, like, he's also supposed to be the lesser son of a person who is gone now. So I like that he kind of looks like an ineffectual middle manager. Mm-hmm. I think that worked. That totally doesn't. doesn't I don't buy the beard. And he's balding, and just kind of he's in he's in a pink shirt, which I think is a funny choice. I think you're right. It goes really fast, and I think that I also when I was because I started off talking about the other book, like you hold Chip Zdarsky to a different standard than a guy who's on his first series. Yep. Meaning that like Chip's gonna have the basics down. He's gonna Mm -hmm. be good at those sort of building, and so like then you have to find other problems with it. Whereas sort of newer people, you can sort of just find whatever it is to enjoy in it. You go, man, this dialogue is great. The tone is set really good. I'm not sure what's going on here, but whatever. It's just a different sort of set of expectations when I walk in. If I know there's a veteran doing the thing, 
the, I mean, the thing that I didn't like, I think, is at the end, like, I want you to be my partner. And I was like, that was from out of nowhere. And also, yeah. and I mean, I'm going to say this thing, this sort of lightish skinned woman of color who looks exactly like the lightish skinned woman of color that is in every book written by a middle-aged white comic book writer to show yeah. that they have a diverse cast. And it is getting ridiculous. You have to think of a different way, comic book writers who look like me, of introducing different types of characters. I find it super annoying. And, oh, but she's a genius. That's the other thing. Like She's wearing J. Crew clothes, and she looks like she's a genius. And it's just this one stereotype that we've developed in comics that is very obvious. I didn't love the making her the partner bit. I liked everything up until this final scene where the reveal happened. Like That's where yeah. I was like... The, the crime was solved very quickly and conveniently, and now this woman with a gun to your head is going to be your partner. I always find it more interesting when you just have the solo investigator who is dealing with all this oh. on their single shoulders by themselves. I think it would have been more interesting maybe that instead of that final panel of, I want you to work with me, it was, mm -hmm. you know, like he comes in, he acute. I know that we're rewriting a thing that happened, which is stupid, I'm sorry. But he comes in and, and he just is like, I know you did it, and then walks out. So then you've left an open thread, you know what I mean? And you know that that character's going to come back in, but maybe you don't say it out loud and tell us with a big smile on your face like it's the last shot in a TV episode. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I get all the reasons why you would do what he did, but it was a little, like, thumb on the butt. Just too much. I do appreciate that Zdarsky, again, we've talked about this before, can do lots of different kind of stories, and this is just yet another kind of story. I mean, it's similar, I guess, to Daredevil, but, you know, this is just a straight-up morally ambiguous P.I. story. It worked really well for the most part. It'd be one of those things, like, I would accuse it of being a TV pitch if it wasn't really kind of a worn-out TV pitch feeling. Right. But, and I may say that as a feature, not a bug, like... Like, I was like, I don't think they'd make this show. But making the comic as this show, if you did it with a certain kind of... Oh, they totally make this show. Kind of yeah, they would. Yeah. I mean, like, the pitch is good. This is a very, very minor criticism. This is on the first, very first page when he's walking into the building and the one cop knows who he is and the younger cop doesn't know who he is. And this is such a minor thing. But this is what happens when you don't have an editor. Or is there an editor? Oh, there is an editor. Well, she didn't catch it. Is that the young cop calls it the 72nd Precinct and that's not how cops talk. They, they would be the 7-2. But that's fine. There's something this week that I read where the word balloons were wrong. I, I don't remember what it was. I just noticed and I was like, wait, the wrong character's talking here. And it was like Clayton Cowles who lettered it. It wasn't any of the ones we're talking about. Sorry. Nothing to do with anything, but I noticed that. And no one caught it. Ratings. Ratings. Newburn number one, four out of five stars. Newburn number one rating for Josh Flanagan, 3.5 stars. I think it was enjoyable. I think it was well done. I think it had flaws. But I wasn't upset that I read it. Sticking with it. I will read the next issue. We didn't talk about the backup story, which was very short. Didn't really tell you much about a robbery at a jewelry store and then a brother. We don't really know much beyond that. I forgot about it. I did read it, though. I almost didn't. So there you go. There's your Patreon at patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you give it a $5 high level, you get your own superpower live on the show. Like these two gentlemen. Robert Kidd, every day, gets an extra 90 minutes. <laughs> okay. I don't know how it works. I'm not a master of the time stream, but you get 24 hours and he gets 25 and a half. Wow. Wherever he needs it, it just shows up. No, it's just there. That's the amount of time that he personally experiences. Mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of physicist who can make that work. And, and, and frankly, that's not my job. I'm just, I'm just a reporter. I resent it, Connor. <laughs> Edwin Danielson controls fog. Danielson. He's the fog. He's he can fog. generate fog, he can dissipate fog, he can move fog, he can make it thicker, he can make it less thick. Can he make me feel slightly confused? <laughs> he can fog your brain. <laughs> so is he the mist? He's the fog. The mist has poison fog. This is just this is just water vapor. That's all this is. Fog. What's the area of effect here? It depends on how much he exerts. If he's in a harbor, can he like clear it so the ships can go through? If he tries really hard, it'll, it'll, it'll really wear him out. He'll do that thing where he collapses and somebody, you know, catches him and says, good job. Good job, Edwin. Yeah. Now you rest. And they put a space blanket on him. Yeah. Now rest. Rest up. <laughs> Give him a juice box. So sort of like a, a non-theatrical James Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that is one of my favorite things on Earth is that his stage move was to collapse and then one of his guys would come and put a blanket on him and they would slowly revive him. I just, it's the greatest thing. 
And the power, and they would he would walk off stage, and he'd be like, "Oh, the funk got me too much, because it was the one." <laughs> it was great. Uh, Robert and Edwin, thanks for being patrons. patreoncom fanboy. That's where you can become a patron. Five dollar higher level gets you superpower live on the show. Hey, listen, get over to patreoncom fanboy. You can directly support the show. That you can unlock shows that everybody gets to listen to. Talk explodes, book explodes, media shows, media explodes. It's a great community. It's all that. Thank you, everybody. Does it? You can get shirts over at ifanboy.threadless.com and other things. There are eleven designs there right now. We are actively talking about even another one as we speak. Eventually, we'll have too many. You can go to ifanboy.com/support. You will find a PayPal link if you don't want to deal with that stuff. And finally, ifanboy.com/amazon, where you will find links to buy the books we owe. You'll find a general link for Amazon. On and that's uh, uh, help us out. It can cost you a thing, so you can you can go that way if if you were like, how do I help the show with very little uh, skin off my nose? And that's how you do it. I know we're running long. Let's squeeze in an email. Ryan A from the United Kingdom. I've been thinking about this question for a couple of weeks. You were answering a listener question and saying you can't necessarily assign what works or doesn't to a writer or artist. As for example, it may be a storytelling problem that artist is forced into by the script. In the full I Fanboy website days, you used to have a separate rating for writing and art. As more experienced and thoughtful comics readers and critics, do you still think it's possible or fair to separate these things out into two ratings? That's a really good question. My instinct when you say it is to say no. But my more thoughtful, when I gave a second to think about it, is that there are still things that you can sort of separate. So oh, here, so here you go. Story doesn't necessarily mean the writer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Art does usually mean the art but you know like there's i don't know i don't have an answer for that right now now that i'm thinking about it what do you think yeah my answer is yes you can i mean i think they can both be true i think you cannot know who's responsible for what but at the end of the day all you have to go on is the final product it's mm-hmm. just like uh anything really if you talk about an actor is it did the actor do a bad yeah. job or was the direction bad we'll never know but all you can go on is what you see you know, Tom Lee Jones is a great actor who was terrible in Batman Forever. Was it because he made terrible choices or because that was Joel Schumacher's direction? None of us were on set, so we don't know. All we can go by is the final product. Same thing with comics. Like, was the script janky and that's why the art was janky? Or was it because the art was janky? I don't know. All I can go by is what I read as a critic. I can keep in mind that yeah. we, we don't know, we'll never know for sure the background, but you have to only go by the, the final product. And I think you're right. I think you can say there's a couple of things that you can almost pretty much directly attribute to a writer, and that's... Story. It's the story beats, you know, unless structure unless and dialogue, know, right? The dialogue and sort of the construction of it from a page standpoint. I, most of the people write full script. They say this happens on this page, this happens on this page, and then on the last page, this happens. So, but even then, Josh, we can't necessarily because you can't. You can you can assume though. It's it's a fairly safe assumption. There are many stories about writers getting rewritten by editors, especially at Marvel and DC. So who did the actual writing? Well, none of us ever knows the truth, so we can only go by what we read. That is a fallback of the system, and you're right, that exists in everything else too, but yeah, so given the information, we have this, and, and somewhere there's maybe a writer listening to something we said, and it doesn't like it, they're like, I didn't do any of that, but they, you also have, to, when you take the credit, you take the blame. Yeah. Art is a little easier, because the writer didn't have anything to do with it, <laughs> unless they came in and inked, and you know, I think you can, you can, I don't know if you can easily tell, but a, a, an artist is the last person to do a significant thing on it in that like they can save a script that doesn't work. They can save mm-hmm. a structure that doesn't work. They can draw a character that does what that is supposed to do, whether that's graphically or whether that's anatomically. They are the ones doing that thing. And so if there's an arm that looks like a little short baby arm on something, yeah. that's the artist's fault. You know, yeah. if if the coloring is bad, or you know, the, like you can tell... Some comic yeah. this week, one of the characters had little baby hands. I couldn't remember which one it was, but I was like, Ooh, yeah, somebody hands. got given a baby arm. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, if the thing is like, no one ever knows exactly who's responsible for what, so you can only go by what you're given. And I think what you said is great, Josh. Like, they get the credit, they also have to get the blame when something doesn't work, even if they weren't necessarily responsible for it. And the only people mm-hmm. who know that are people who worked on the book. And I, I guess the difference is, is that as a reviewer, if you can acknowledge that much, then you're safe. You know, with the exception of given what I know. You know, this is what it appears to be the case. I don't know if you can acknowledge every time you talk about a book, hey, we don't know who did this. No, no, I, I just mean in general, like having that be part of the conversation. Well, I think what you can do ultimately is just try to be fair. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes. just try to be fair and thoughtful about the review and give reasons. And then whoever's fault or, or whoever's credit it goes to, the truth is we'll never know, but we'll just be fair about it. Ultimately, you don't necessarily even have to attribute, it's like story, 
no, that's the story. I don't know who did it, but here's what happened. In, here's what's wrong or right about the story. Right. Here's what's wrong or right about the art. And it doesn't really matter who did those things. It's almost like how you talk about it. Right. And I'd have no problem right now breaking out. I mean, we're not going to do it on the show. If, mm-hmm. if we were still doing the website, I'd have no problem breaking it out because the factors in the book is the story and the art. It's a good question. It is a good question. It really, I think it was a really thoughtful, interesting question I have never considered. Yeah, good question. Thanks, Ryan, from the United Kingdom. Contact at ifanboy.com is where you can write in like Ryan. You can also get emails in for the Media Explode show. Just mark those in the subject line. Let's talk about what we've got going on as we, as we start turning the corner to the final part of the year. Out right now is the special edition show on What If, the Marvel Studios Disney Plus show. The Animated Brain Trust talked about that. Josh mentioned it earlier. He has his talk explode with Tom King out behind this show where they talked about Rorschach and they talked about Strange Adventures and they talked about other things. Supergirl. That's pretty much it. It was long. If you want to hear Tom King look back on those his most recent two series, that's where you can do it. This coming week, we have a specialist show on Injustice, the latest in the DC Universe animated original film, The Brain Trust Reconvene. That should be coming out this Thursday, November 11th. You wrote 11 slash 11, and I was like, oh, they must have really liked it. Yeah. But then I realized it was a date. <laughs> and then later on this month, we have our media explode, which should be coming out around November 18th. And then towards the end of the month... We haven't figured out how we're going to do it yet, but we should have special editions for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings and The Eternals. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know when they're going to come out, but the plan is to get them out by the end of this month, hopefully before Thanksgiving. We just haven't figured out who's going to the movies and who's comfortable going to the movies and what's going on. So we'll figure that out. And then finally, simply because of real estate and lack of weeks and too many shows, this month's books load will probably slip to December 2nd, which is the first Thursday of December, probably. We haven't also finalized that either. There's a lot of shows. We have like 15 shows to put out in six weeks. So we have to, there's a lot of juggling yeah. going on. And like, I don't want to spoil Avengers Forever for you, but I do have an initial review and it's uh, Kang. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of shows <laughs> coming out in the next six weeks. Like I said, there's about 15 of them. So we're just trying to figure out how that's going to all get scheduled. In a way that doesn't say kill us. Kang without smiling. <laughs> Go to FM, iFanboy. I can't talk. We're off this week. That's what I think is happening. I don't know what it is. I was sick. There's technical. I don't know. Go to iFanboy.com. You can find all of our shows. I'm not going to tell you we've done better ones. We've done smoother ones. But they've all got their charm, I think. You can sure. find all the writing. You can find all the reviews. You can find, hey, you guys did break these out. And how dare you give three stars to the artist and five stars to the writer and or vice versa. But it all happened, and it's there. It's yep. in digital concrete. Go to facebook.com slash ifanboy, at ifanboy on Twitter, or at ifanboycomics on Instagram, unless you know the guy who has at ifanboy on Instagram, in <laughs> which case, we have to do something about that. Yeah. He hasn't used it in like eight years. Oh, Look what you've done to Connor's voice. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out individually. You can follow me at jflanagan.com. Wait, no. At J. Flanagan on Instagram or at CSGO Patrick. Does J. Flanagan.com still exist? Uh, no. Wait, yes. I think I still own that. I let go of everything else, but I do own that URL for no reason. Hmm. Yes. And then YouTube.com slash iFanboy for video show re-uploads from the past. This past week, there's a mini, How to Break into Comic Book Writing. That sounds like me. Yep. Back then, I, I had airs. <laughs> there's a show on The Flash, exclamation point, and another show on Blackest Night, where I'm sure we mentioned the fact that I picked scalp number 27 <laughs> instead of Blackest Night 1, <laughs> blah, 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 and I fucking regret nothing. If you like the show, consider leaving a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, whatever aggregator you use, not just for our show, but any podcast you listen to. It's a great way to help a show you enjoy, and it doesn't take much time and effort. I do it for the shows I listen to. Josh does it for the shows he listens to. Uh, it really does help the algorithm to which we are all a slave. Better than that is word of mouth. If someone asks what podcast you listen to, we always appreciate when you say ours. A week does not go by on social media where someone doesn't ask, hey, what comic book podcasts are good? And some, at least someone mentions us, and we do thank you for that. And uh, that's, that's, how we, uh, that's how we do it. That's the show. What sort of sacrifice would you give to the almighty algorithm? Like if you had to make an offering to the algorithm, what would you give it? What do I get out of it? You get brief fleeting attention. <laughs> Nothing. The algorithm gives and takes away. I'm trying to break free from the chains. I'm trying. I'm the freedom fighter. I get that, but you know, like you're in the system, but like you're a high priest of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. What do you give it? Like a puppy? Like a I mean, of a puppy, or like a could we like give it Ron? Puppy riding on the back of a donkey. I mean, Ron is basically the church of the algorithm. At this point. <laughs> so, Mike Romo. Sorry, Mike. The algorithm should smile on him all the time. <laughs>
<laughs> and the fact that it doesn't shows you inherently that the algorithm is broken. Into the fire you go. That's this week's show. Thanks for listening. I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Bye. Three, two, this is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 805, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, who are tuned, we talked about it, and I hope you're doing it, but let me do it again, sorry. Three, two, this is iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 805, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you, doing the things you're supposed to with the vaccines and the masks and the, and the not hugging people on the street like did the other day and now tested positive just saying <laughs> two to caps three two this is ifanboy pig of the week number 805 brought to you by ifanboys just like <sighs> wow i know three <laughs> three two hello welcome to the pick of the week podcast it's ifanboy <laughs> fuck me